So what do I do with my doubt? So if you are in a place where you're having significant doubts, not just little ones, but big ones, and you're really struggling because it's hindering your walk with God, it's hindering your, your ability to enjoy uh, your walk with God. Welcome to the Ground Belief Podcast. I'm Chris Gadsden, your host. This episode is a recording of a presentation I gave last year at the Crew Winter Conference in Denver, Colorado, to a group of several hundred college students. The original title was The Myth of Certainty, Dealing with Doubts in the Christian Faith. And I gave that talk and wanted to include this in the podcast because I think there are a lot of people out there who are dealing with doubts and uncertainty about what they believe, both inside the Christian faith and outside the faith. I think people inside the faith um, think that when they have doubts and questions about Christianity, uh, that there's something wrong with that, that maybe they're in sin. And, and I think this is a misconception that really needs to be cleared up. And I think that for people outside the faith, when they're dealing with difficult questions about Christianity and doubts about what they believe, I think a lot of them are under the impression that until they have cleared away all those doubts and they can have absolute certainty that Christianity in all its aspects uh, is true, that they can't be um, Christians. They can't become people of faith. And I think that's also a misconception. Here in part two of this episode on doubt, I talk about the two different ways that we use the word doubt. And it's going to turn out that one of those ways uh, might be opposed to faith, but the other one really isn't. And I think that making this distinction uh, sheds a lot of light on our experiences of doubt. Then I'm going to look at some of the problem passages in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that seem to portray doubt as sin. And I'm going to clear out some of those up and show that they're really not uh, portraying doubt negatively. And then finally, I'm going to give a few practical points. So I hope you'll find this helpful for yourself, and I hope you'll pass it on to a friend that might be wrestling with some doubts. Enjoy. Okay, let me add one more thing to the model that I think will we'll kind of put a cap on, put a bow on this to help you make sense of what the scriptures are saying and how we talk about faith. It can be very confusing, or how we talk about doubt, I should say. Because the way we talk about doubt gets really, gets really mushed up and gets really confusing. So there's two kinds of doubt. There's two ways we talk about it in, in, in the English language. And this is, you see this in the scripture as well because the Greek has the same two kinds and it's translated in the same way into English, the same way we talk in English. And that is one is we have noun doubt. Okay? And that's when you use the word doubt as a noun. I have some doubt, like I have some chicken, right? Or I have... You know, I have some money. I have some doubt. It's a noun, right? Or I have, I have doubts about that. And this kind of doubt is the kind of doubt that is the doubt that a person of faith can have, right? It's very natural and very normal. I have some doubts. I, I believe. I have faith. But I do have some doubts. I do have some questions. I do have some concerns. Now, verb doubt is different. When we use doubt as a verb, when we say, I doubt that is true, that's like saying, I don't believe it, right? If I'm skeptical about God, I'm a skeptic about God's existence. That means I don't believe God exists. If I'm a skeptic about the resurrection, if I doubt the resurrection, that means I don't believe it exists. I mean, that I don't believe it happened, right? So when we say, I doubt that is true, or Tom is doubting, using it in a verb form, then that's talking about the kind of doubt that is a lack of belief or an absence of faith, Okay? 
So that's why I think we get confused sometimes. This is the negative kind of faith. This is when you see scriptures talk about faith in a negative, or talk about doubt negatively, it's used in a verb form. And when you see the scriptures talk about doubt in a noun form, it's not negative. Okay? All right. A few problem passages. These are ones that pop into my head, at least, when I think about this idea of, is doubt sin? Is it bad to doubt? Is something wrong with me if I doubt? So James 1, 6-8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what do you notice about the way the word doubt is used in this verse, in this section? Is it used as a noun or as a verb? It's used in a verb form, right? So doubting, doubt. That's why it's being portrayed negatively. It's describing a person who is a person who is, lacks belief, who lacks faith, right? Not a person who's just struggling in their faith, but a person who doesn't believe. Okay, now you can push back on that in the Q&A. You can say, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. Well, you know, I'm, I could be wrong on this, but this, this is how I think it fits nicely with the model. I think it makes sense in the interpretation here. Okay, what about Romans 14.23? People often bring this one up. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Ooh, well, does that mean doubt is sin? But this is not talking about faith in God, but faith or belief that an action is morally right. So the first thing you have to ask whenever someone talks about faith or doubt is you have to say faith in what? Are we talking about faith in God, faith in the gospel? Are we talking about faith in a person? Are we talking about faith in a doctrine? Are we talking about doubt that Jesus is the Son of God? Are we talking about doubt that, um, you know, my church is the best church, or something like that. So there's lots of things you could doubt that aren't the same thing as doubting God, right? So if you go back to verse 2 of this section, Paul is saying saying this, one person has faith that he may eat all things. This is not talking about faith in Christ and the gospel, right? But he who is weak eats vegetables only, that's why I'm not a vegetarian. Uh, Right, so this is talking about, you know, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, it's saying, if you perform an action, I mean, Paul's overall point in this is if you believe something is wrong and you do it anyway, then what you're doing is sin because you don't believe that it's right. You don't have faith that it's right. Okay, that's Paul's point in this passage. This is not teaching that, that doubting is a sin. What about Hebrews 11.6? Without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Whoa, without faith, doubt is sin. Is that what it's saying? Sometimes it's taken that way, but you have to remember, faith does not mean the absence of doubt, at least not on the model I'm talking about, on the sliding scale model. You can have very strong faith and very little doubt, but they can coexist in the same person. You can be a person of faith, you can be very strong faith, and have very little doubt, but there's still some doubt present. And I think that's true for any human being. Okay, so the conclusion here of the problem passage is that the Bible does not teach that having doubts is a sin. Unbelief or doubting may be a sin in some cases. Okay, so how does the Bible portray those who have doubt? I think this is the best part. When you read the Psalms, if you spent any time reading the Psalms, you know, many of them are very happy, very praise, oh, praise, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But a lot of them are really dark. Right? Have you read some of the dark ones? I mean, you read Psalms thir- Psalm 13, for instance. It's like a person contemplating suicide. 
He's like, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Right? This is a person really struggling to believe in God's goodness, to believe in God's sovereignty, to believe in God's faithfulness. They're struggling. They're having doubts. That, am I believing in vain? Have I, have I pledged myself to, to God for no reason? Is this all a waste? Right? I see sinners that are wealthy, and I see poor people, and I see good people that are poor and, and oppressed. The Psalms are full of this. What they're full of is examples of honest, authentic faith. And I think that's on purpose, that the Psalms are there for you to say, hey, look, it, part of what it means to be a Christian is to struggle sometimes, is to go through these same kind of experiences. And these are doubts, these are struggles, they're questions, and that is a healthy, normal part of being a Christian. And you continue to work through them. You continue to pray in the midst of these, just like the, the writers of the Psalms. How about the New Testament portraits, portraits? John the Baptist, right? So you know the story. John's in jail, right? He had been out proclaiming the Messiah. He thought, hey, this is great, right? And then suddenly he finds himself in jail, getting ready to have his head chopped off. You could understand why he might be a little depressed, right? A little down. So he sends a couple of his disciples. He says, Will you, would you guys just go to Jesus and just, could you double check for me? You know, just ask Jesus, like, are you really the one, or should we expect somebody else? Because I'm about to get my head chopped off for you, and uh, I'd rather not if you're not really the Messiah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of having some questions here. This isn't going the way I thought. And does anyone know how Jesus responds? What Jesus' answer is? Yeah, tell them about the works that I'm doing. I mean, really, Jesus' response is to give them evidence, to give them reasons to believe. He says, go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the prisoners are set free, well, except John, and the, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And what that is is Old Testament prophecy about what would happen when the Messiah came. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was giving people sight back, giving their hearing back, curing the cripples, right? And he says, that's why you should believe. So he doesn't say, John, you stinking, rotten, faithless sinner. Just believe, man. Just have more faith. How dare you ask questions? No, he's like, he, you know, he doesn't snuff out the smoldering wick, right? He doesn't break the, the bruised reed. He's very gentle. He knows John is struggling. He responds with, with grace, with, with love. And he says, here, tell, here's what you can tell John that will strengthen his faith. And it's evidence. It's reasons to believe. So, Jesus doesn't give John a hard time for his doubts, right? He knows that's, that's, that's normal, that's healthy. It's, of course there's going to be times like that. What about, what about um, Thomas? <clears throat> I love this painting. I think this is a Caravaggio. But Thomas, you know, he didn't believe in the, that Jesus rose from the dead. He's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm skeptical. I doubt that's going to that really happen. Because honestly, the idea of a single person rising from the dead was a bizarre idea in the Jewish tradition. A bizarre, bizarre idea. So he's like really skeptical. And he says, I'm not going to believe until he shows up here and I stick my finger right in the hole in his side. So what does Jesus do? He shows up, and what does he say to Thomas? Thomas, you rotten, pagan, stinking, faithless piece of garbage. No, what does he say? He says, Thomas, come here. Here it is. And I love the picture. You can hardly tell, but Thomas's eyes are like, 
Oh my God. You know, and that's exactly what he said. My God and my, you know, my Lord and my God. Right? He responds in faith. So he gives Thomas, he doesn't rebuke him, he gives him evidence. He says, look, here. Right? And so I think what we see is God's response. If Jesus is God, then Jesus' response is God's response. God's response to doubt and real authentic questions and struggles is grace and assistance. It's help. It's, it's grace to help you in your, in your unbelief. It's grace to help you in your struggle. So the conclusion of this is doubt can be good, instrumentally good, right? So it's, it's not good enough of itself because I think in heaven there won't be any doubt. Um, but it can be almost like pain can be used instrumentally, right, to help grow you as a Christian. Um, doubt can be useful. It moves you to exercise your gift of reason, right? This, this mind you've been given, your ability to think rationally is part of the image of God in you, right? It's part of what makes you special, and God wants you to exercise that gift. Right? It doesn't mean everybody needs to go and get their PhD and be a nerd like me. It just means you need to use your mind and think and use that God-given intellect. And sometimes doubts are the very things that prod you to start thinking and using, getting the wheels turning up there. Get the hamster, you know, ball, the hamster, hamster wheel rolling. You know, um, that was supposed to be funny, the hamster wheel thing. Okay. Um, so yeah, doubt can help you. Uh, do that. Helps, it helps us find the truth, just like the Bereans. You get a new idea, you get a question that comes up, something hard, it can push you toward a deeper understanding. And it can push you to, toward a more mature faith. Right? I mean, it's a natural part of the growth as a Christian. You have questions, you answer those questions. And every time you have a doubt, and you work through it, and you find an answer to that question, it's like you're laying a brick in your foundation, and you're just making that foundation stronger and stronger and stronger. That's, that's been my experience, at least. So doubts need to be embraced and acknowledged, not, not stuffed or hidden or feared or make you feel guilty. It's not something to be ashamed of, especially for the sake of our witness, Right? Non-Christians can smell a phony a mile away. So if you think that in order to be a good witness, you have to come across like you have zero doubt, you're wrong. I think it's far more persuasive to see an authentic, real struggle. Because I know from experience, I mean, I know people who, who are not Christians who have looked at Christianity and thought, I can't be a Christian because I have doubts. I have to have perfect faith to be a Christian. I can't have any doubts, so I can't be a Christian. You don't want people to think that. That's not true. That's not true at all. And so you want to be honest about your own doubts. Be honest about your own questions, right? For the sake of your spiritual well-being, you stuff those things. It's like a wound that goes untended. It can become infected and fester, become gangrenous, and then next thing you know, you're losing a leg or whatever. So you don't want to do that. Um, okay, so here's one last question somebody asked me last year that I, I want to address. So what do I do with my doubt? So if you are in a place where you're having significant doubts, not just little ones, but big ones, and you're really struggling because it's hindering your walk with God, it's hindering your, your ability to enjoy uh, your walk with God, I would say, first of all, if your faith feels weak, lean on your community. It's, it's crucial that you, you spend time in your community and open up to your community, whatever that is, about these, about these things. Whether it's a small group or just some roommates or a crew staff or a pastor. If you don't have anybody safe to talk to about it, you can email me. Um, 
but you need to, to bring other people into that, into that walk with you and, and to lean on their encouragement and draw strength from their faith as well. Um, let them pray for you. Let them talk to you. Help them. They can help you process through things because I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes I've had thoughts in my mind that really bother me and then I go to a person and I say it out loud and I go, that sounds crazy. You know, because I just hadn't said it out loud. And I say it out loud and I go, yeah, that really does sound crazy, doesn't it? And then I realize how, just like, oh, yeah, that's not true, is it? That's not true. So don't, don't try to hide these things. Find someone you can open up to. Bring in your community to pray for you and to encourage you and strengthen you. Um, I'd also say, like, if, you're, if you feel unsure of your faith, if you feel like you're almost at that 50-50 stage where you're like, man, I just... I just don't even know if this is true anymore. Um, take Pascal's Wager. right? If you've never heard of Pascal's Wager, Blaise Pascal was a, a mathematician, a philosopher, and he said, listen, you know, if you're not sure, if you think it's like 50-50, whether, whether God exists or not, whether Christianity is true, just take that step to embrace Christianity and begin to live as a Christian because you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Right? It's a bet you cannot possibly lose. If you take the step of faith and just say, okay, well, I'm not sure, but I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to be in community. I'm going to do the things that a Christian does because that will help me to believe even when I'm unsure at this point. Because, listen, by taking that step, I have heaven to gain and, and I lose very little if it turns out I'm wrong. But if you decide to, to bail then you have everything possibly to lose and very little to gain, really, by being an atheist. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a little more fun. I don't know, maybe not. I think Christians can have more fun. But you, you don't really gain anything, right? It's not like you go to heaven or go to some other heaven, atheist heaven. You just worm dirt, right? You just worm food. So, so just take the bet. And now some people might say, well, wait a minute. If I don't believe it's true, why should I take that step? Well, what the rational thing to do is, not always just about evidence and belief, the rational action is sometimes just the thing that is the most, makes the most sense for your well-being. Right? And I think what Pascal says, he says, listen, if you, if you just keep going to church, continue to worship the Lord, continue to read your Bible, continue to pray, continue to be in community, and that can help you move down that scale of belief to increase your belief, to increase your confidence in your faith. Um, you'll find yourself believing more as you continue to, to act it out, to continue to work it out. Um, and you might ask, maybe you say, well, wait a minute, that's not being authentic. That's being dishonest. If I sing the worship song, oh, Lord, I love you, and I think I don't really love God. That's not being dishonest. If, if you're coming to it in, a, in an attitude of God help me to believe, because you may be in a place where you don't believe, but you want to believe. And I've met many people in that, in that position. And if that's your case, you can sing a song and you can pray a prayer, even if you're not sure about it, because you're praying it with this attitude of, God, help me in my unbelief. Help me to believe. This is, I'm struggling. These words, they don't reflect my heart now, but I want them to. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. I think it's perfectly rational. Because you have everything to gain by that action. So feel free to ask more questions about that in the Q&A. You can push back on that. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Ground Belief Podcast on Doubt. 
and i hope you'll share it with a friend who might be struggling with some doubts about what they believe and thank you so much for tuning in and until next time keep believing well